Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast with Tony Maradero. No, 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 no. It's with me, Matt O'Han. The Sickest Montreal Canadiens Podcast. Now, a 24th Stanley Cup banner will hang from the rafters of the famous forum in Montreal. The Canadiens win the Stanley Cup. Brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. 8.6 beer. Intense by nature. And Lacage. If the last time you went to Lacage was when the Habs won the cup, it's time you went back to Lacage. It's going to be sick. Good Friday evening, everyone. I am Matt O'Han, and I am back for the first time since December 21st, 2022. That's right. It was last year. I'm not, we're not only in 2023. I'm also one year older. It was my birthday last week. So I just want to give a quick thank you to Tony Marinero for filling in for me on last Friday, uh, letting me celebrate my birthday. Really, really appreciate that, Tony. I owe you one. Uh, The sick podcast is brought to you by energy transportation group. They are a full leading logistics service providers serving all of North America driven to be different 8.6 beer intense by nature the beer for those who follow their instinct and live their passions in order to make their mark and of course Lacage if the last time you went to Lacage was when the Habs had a 50 goal scorer it's time you go back to Lacage the menu will surprise you so uh kind of a uh, kind of an eh week for the Canadians for the lack of a better term um you know, they, they start off the week against Seattle. They get shut out 4 nothing at home. A very big stinker there. And then uh, they have uh, P.K. Subban night last night where they uh, hosted the Nashville Predators, a beautiful and very well done uh, pregame ceremony honoring P.K. Subban and letting bygones be bygones and welcoming, welcoming him back to the Bell Center. A very nice ceremony, very... Uh, very, just brought back a lot of fond, fond memories. And uh, one guy who was there for a lot of those memories is the Montreal Gazette's Stu Cowan, who joins us on the Sick Podcast. Stu, how are you? I'm doing well, Bladed. Happy birthday to you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. So, Stu, let's let's start here. I mean, okay. Let's start with P.K. Subban, okay? Just let, let's, uh, let's talk about him quickly. You know, as, as someone who's only 26 years old now um, – I haven't had a lot of things to cheer about for the Canadians and uh, very few things brought me out of my chair, but one guy who always managed to was PK Subban. And, you know, I just, I, I have a couple memories in mind, but I, I'm curious to know from your perspective, what was your f- favorite PK Subban moment? Well, he was basically the no players since Gila Fleur. I don't think they've had another player who's got people out of their seats the way PK Subban did. And we saw how much the public still loves him in Montreal um, last night. And it's interesting because I asked PK last night, and it was there one moment that you memory from you, for you, the Montreal, that stands out the most? And he said, no, that's part of being a Montreal. There's just so many of them. I think the overall moment, though, would be probably the playoffs against Boston uh, when he was you know, getting a lot of racial abuse uh, during that series from fans in Boston. And he basically, not single-handedly, but him and Carey Price – were the two key players in winning that playoff series. And it just showed how much PK was able to block out the distractions around him. There's people who have knocked PK Subban for his big personality. Um, as I wrote in a column, it's on hockeyinsideout.com now. Um, 
that personality wouldn't have been an issue in any other pro sports league in North America. It's just he didn't fit in in hockey, in basketball or football or baseball. He would have been I – mean, there's a lot bigger personalities than him in those sports, and they're also – they're celebrated in those sports as opposed to being shunned like they were here. So probably that series in Boston as a, as a overall thing, just the way he handled everything. He, he, there was racial abuse. He handled it so well. Uh, he, he let his performance, he let his play to his talking for him. And one of the things about PK that if his teammates didn't like his personality or thought he was too much about himself and not enough about the team and management, obviously felt that way. Also the bigger the game, the better he played almost all the time. And to me, he never did anything to embarrass the franchise off the ice. He never heard a story about him, you know, being in a fight in a bar or hitting a woman or withdrawing. There was nothing. They never did anything to embarrass the franchise. He made the franchise look good. But they just they couldn't deal with that personality. And, and the lasting thing for me for PK is just the bigger the game, the better he played. And there's not a lot of guys who have played for the Canadians who can say that. So many people, so many players in Montreal wilt under the spotlight. PK Subban loved everything about being a Montreal Canadian. He loved the spotlight. He loved on the ice. He loved off the ice. He was involved in the community. You know, it was the children's hospital. We saw the little girl that he brought out last night with the wheelchair. Um, he was, and the fans still love him here. I mean, it's almost seven years since that trade and the fans love him. I don't think they'll ever have a Shea Weber night that'll get a reaction like that. Mm-hmm. And if they did, Shea Weber probably wouldn't even show up. But I think, you know, for, for PK Subban, it was just, it was a special night. It was a memorable night. And, as I wrote, it was, it was a PR move as much as anything by the Canadians, I think. Yeah, of course. Um, and But kudos to Jeff Molson for bringing him back. Uh, he obviously signed off on the trade that sent PK to uh, to Nashville. He agreed with the decision by Mark Bergeway and Michel Terry at that time. But as you said, bygones be bygones. It was nice to see PK back at the Bell Centre last night. And the fans still love him. Yeah. And you know what? It's great to see because, you know, like you said, it was a PR move more than anything, but it was a great one because it was was a great one. It was a smart one. I mean, they got to have something to cheer about. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, let's get into it. I mean, uh, just as a quick side note, you know, the triple, the triple low five with Carrie Price might go down as a highlight of the season this year for the Canadians. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's funny because speaking of the triple O five, you know, I, a lot of people, when they talk about their favorite on ice moment with PK uh, is going to be that, that breakaway out of the box goal in game three mm. against Boston in 2014. I unfortunately can't say that because I was on a bus um, back from coming back from a, uh, a school trip. So I missed that goal. I was listening to it on the radio, but I, I didn't actually get to see it. So uh, for me, it would probably be the goal against Chicago uh, in overtime. This is really a long time ago. This is 2011. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he just on the power play, uh, in overtime, just takes a feed from Andre Kostitsin, blasts the puck. What does he do? First thing, skates right to center ice, shoulder bump with Carey Price. We just clinch the playoffs, parties on. That yeah. that to me is just, uh, it was great, which is, the, the memory was brought back to me because of that triple low five that we saw. Well, so, the triple low uh, five, as I wrote in the, the column I wrote earlier today, it was like three slaps at Mark Bergevin and Michel Therrien. I mean, that's what it was. Right. It was like, you know, you wouldn't let us do this, but we're doing it. And the, the fans loved it back then. The fans loved it now. And, and it's hard to understand. It just showed you if anybody else had been doing the triple low five with Carey Price that wasn't P.K. Subban, I don't think it would have been a problem. But for whatever reason or reasons, he just rubbed Michel Terrier and Marc Bergevin the wrong way, along with some of his teammates. 
And um, it was unfortunate. I mean, as I, as I said, PK is one of the most intelligent athletes I've ever spoken with. Well-spoken, thoughtful, polite with everybody that, you know, my dealings with him was polite. Everybody, you talk with people who worked around the Bell Center, he was polite with them. Um, and, and it's hard to, you know, it's, it's hard to understand how things went so bad just because he had a big person. I know one former teammate told me once that he liked PK. He just wished that one or two days a week he would turn down the volume on the PK show a bit and maybe just show up and not go on the ice practice and go home. But that wasn't PK. That wasn't his personality. He wasn't uh, – I was talking with Michael Farber uh, last night at the game, and he was saying years ago he was doing a story on PK, and he went to the family home, and he was watching family videos. And it was one of his brother's or his sister's birthday parties. But PK stole the show. He was like six years old. He's the one running in front of the camera and he's the one dancing around. That's that's who he was. That's just that was his personality. And I asked him last night if he was proud of the fact that he didn't change his personality to be one of the sort of you know the good Canadian boys, as I put it on my column, who you know uh, uh, speaking cliches and sort of do what they're told. And he, he just, he was himself and he, he was true to himself right to the end. And he had a great line. He said, if I hadn't, if I had changed, they, maybe they wouldn't have had this night for me last night. He was different. He was different from the typical hockey player and fans, especially in Montreal, loved it. Well, you know, it, it, he just fit the he fit the mold for Montreal so perfectly because you know we're known for our nightlife, our partying, and you know what more fun player can you ask for than PK Subban? He was just he was just a great personality, and I you know like for for in terms of growing the game, you know the triple low five, the the shoulder yeah. bump at center ice. That as a kid for me made hockey so much fun. I thought it was the greatest thing ever, you know, ever played. I thought it was the best thing since sliced bread. You know, like I, I just couldn't get over it. And I, and I loved watching the Canes because you knew something. Chances are something exciting was going to happen every single night when, when he was on the ice. And, you know, for, and, you know, it, it, you just go look up highlight montages and you'll see that he just brought the crowd out of their seats, whether it be a big hit, a nice move, you know, uh, him dancing at the blue line with his circle circling. And I remember how he skated in pregame. So just, it, it's funny to say he's, he was different because he was, mm -hmm. and it, it's just crazy to me. The, 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 you know, you look back and how the game is now, you know, I think if he was on the team now, obviously, you know, all things being equal, different, uh, it's a different manager. Well, a different front office team. Mm -hmm. They, this guy would have been embraced and he would have spent his entire career with this team. That's what he wanted. Uh, I mean, the, the thing is, yeah. you know, his teammates were, some of his teammates were upset with his personality, but I, if I was on I'd be more upset at a teammate who didn't show up to play. That would be upset me more. A guy who just goes through the motions on the ice and doesn't really seem to care and doesn't have that desire to play. And PK had that. And he had a great line last night in his speech. I, I thought his speech was so good. There was no notes. He wasn't reading a text. He yeah. was just from his heart. And he just told the players in Montreal, like what if you, and he was right. If you work hard and you leave it all on the ice every night, fans will love you. That's why fans love Brendan Gallagher. I mean, now fans are on him because he's been hurt, but I mean, he, every single shift, Brendan Gallagher is given everything he has on the ice and Montreal fans love players like that. And they love them even more when they're as talented as PK was. And as you said, for a younger generation of fans, I'm old enough to remember watching Guy Lafleur and you know, Larry Robinson and some of the stars and the players that would bring you out of your seat. And Bob Yor was my first you know, hockey hero. Um, but there hasn't been a lot of them for a younger generation of Canadians fans like you. And PK was the guy. And and again, like, like it, 
after Guy Lafleur, I can't think of another player who was that exciting. And I've said this before, if Piquet had been um, a French Canadian from wherever in Quebec and had that personality, it would have been, ah, oh, quel joie de vivre. Uh, you know, he's, yeah. he's, yeah. he's, he's, he typifies that we were saying like Montreal nightlife and fun and having a good time and fashion. Piquet, even though he was from Toronto, he said he grew up in Toronto as a Canadian's fan because his dad, when he came to Canada from Jamaica and Sudbury, as he said last night, the first two things he learned about Canada were the Montreal Canadiens and snow. And from that day on, PK, PK was a Canadiens fan. His dad was a Canadiens fan. And PK mentioned last night, so one of the most proudest moments of his career was when the Canadiens drafted him and Bob Gainey gave him a sweater. And PK, you know, when you think back, it, it's... As I said, I wrote the other day, from a hockey standpoint, you can argue over who won the trade, right? Mm-hmm. Some people say the Canadians won it because Weber came in and was a captain. But, you know, both teams went to the Stanley Cup final. PK went in his first year in Nashville. Um, the Canadians were fortunate that they were able to get out of the last four years of Shea Weber's contract, which was ridiculous, that contract that they took on yeah. when they traded PK. But from a PR standpoint and f- at the box office, it hurt them. It really did. I know for a fact their season ticket waiting list shrunk dramatically after they traded PK. Uh, a lot of there's people I know, two people myself who gave up their season tickets after PK was traded. It was sort of the last straw for them for a team that had been struggling along. And you wonder how much they took all that into account. And I guess they, they for Bergevin and Terry and Molson, who signed off, just thought that he was a, there was more bad to having PK with the Canadians than there was good. And that's why he was traded to Nashville. Yeah, and and you know the fan reaction. You know, you mentioned that you know people were giving up their season tickets. It, it's just people took it personally because they they everything PK was to the team, people loved that, and, and mm-hmm. they ate it up. Everything he did, and you know, you, you talk about being himself, and and that player that uh, you know that said. I would like it if he turn it off just once or twice a week or two, mm-hmm. three times a week and mm-hmm. just come to work and go home after. Yeah. I mean, I could speak personally, you know, like I work at a bank. It's not exactly the most exciting of jobs, yeah. but they, they allow me to be myself. Yeah. And that's what, one of the things that I love about going to work mm-hmm. every day is that I don't have to change who I am. And PK never felt like he had to change who he was. And, you know, maybe there were some internal things that we don't know about that he, he was fighting against. And he said, Hey, I'm, I don't care. I'm still going to be me because that's what I do. But uh, yeah. So just, uh, just, uh, just a, a, a nice way to tie a bow on, on that whole thing was just last night. It was just very, very, very nice to see. Um, okay, let's, let's talk about uh, the Canadians on the ice now. So the last time we spoke was December 16th, and uh, the Canadians were 14-14-2. They were coming off a 5-2 loss to the Anaheim Ducks. And, and we spoke about it. We said I was kind of – maybe I – I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty, but I, I – I feel like I was bang on when I said the wheels are starting to come off. Mm-hmm. And then they did big time yeah. uh, since then, you know, they're, they're, they, they went three, eight and one since now they're 17, 22 and three um, to you, you know, being, being around with the team and uh, even sometimes watching from home on road trips, whatever. Um, what was the moment to, that you said, okay, this team's in trouble now. I think the injury to Monahan was the biggest blow to this team. I mean, he's still, I'll check this, I think he's fifth in team scoring still, and he's missed like 16 games, which is ridiculous <laughs> when you think about it. 
Uh, and it just shows you how the lack of depth this team has on offense. And it just shows you how important Monaghan was to this team when he was in the lineup. You know, he played those games. He wanted to play that game back in Calgary. There was two or three games there. He was wearing a, a boot cast before the game, taking it off, playing, and putting the boot cast back on. Part of that was I think he really wanted to play that game in Calgary. Uh, he got through that game, and then I think he played one or maybe two games after that, and then they shut him down. <clears throat> but I remember talking with uh, Slavkovsky after he had played on a line with Monaghan. And he was saying, talk about how much easier he made the game for him because Monahan could speed up the pace or slow it down. And just, he, he's just, Sofkowski said he found it really easy to play with him. Uh, and I, I'll, anybody who's played on his line will say he's just such a smart hockey player. He does everything right. They can use him on the power play. They use him at center. He's a wing. He's just a really valuable guy. And the injuries kept piling up and they're still piling up. I mean, um, but I think the loss of him was really huge. And I think moving forward, all the talk about, you know, they're going to trade him and try and get a first-round pick uh, before the trade deadline and if he can come back and be healthy. And Pat Hickey wrote about this also. I think they need to sort of weigh, is the pick they're going to, like how valuable can he be to this team? We've seen already. Like is it maybe worth trying to keep him or trade him? I mean, they could trade him and then maybe try and re-sign him again in the offseason as a free agent. But I think that injury really hurt them. And then they piled up, you know, David Savard got hurt. Their penalty kill was horrible after that. He was their key penalty kill guy. You know, Matheson's only played 10 games. Uh, Gallagher's out now. They just, on a team with so many young players and so many rookies, to keep losing so many veteran players, uh, it really hurt them. But that's the wheels were falling off and the injuries made them fall off quicker. But I think losing Monaghan was the biggest blow uh, the team has had so far. And, and you got to remember, too, they were playing over their heads earlier in the mm -hmm. season. Yeah. It's a long season. They were getting some really good goaltending too. Uh, but again, they just don't have the depth to to handle the injuries that they've had so far. Yeah, and you know, depending on the type of fan you are, you might be happy about the way things have gone as of late. You might be, you know, you might be shaking your fist and you know, yeah. blaming the power play, blaming Martin Saint Louis for all this. You just put it. You just put it in a box perfectly. You know, there's just way too many injuries to a team that already was not very deep. So it's just, yeah, it, it's been tough to watch. And I, I would imagine, you know, as a journalist, you know, you try to, you, you want to be your objective and you, mm -hmm. you know, you don't, you don't really care if the Canadians win or lose, mm -hmm. but I'm sure the job is more fun when you get to well, watch. It's, it's, I mean, as people say, you know, you should, you know, the only teams I cheer for are like when Canada is playing in international events. And I, I say that, honestly, you can ask my friends, yeah. my wife, there's players that I, I like, and I've gotten to know them. I, I, so you like to, I like to see them. I don't want to say you cheer for them, but you're happy when you see them do well. Um, yeah, but I, I mean, it's it's a lot more fun being around a winning team. There's no <laughs> doubt about that. I mean, you know, it's like we're getting used to being around losing teams here, and you sort of run out. How many different ways can you phrase why do you guys suck? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and you know, they get tired of hearing the questions, and we get so there's no doubt. And any, I think any journalist that covers any team on a regular on a beat will tell you it's more enjoyable when you're covering a winning team because the players are in a better mood. They're more willing to talk. And I've, I've had this debate with other people too. I wonder in Montreal, and there's times I wonder if there's more interest in the Canadians when they're winning or when they're losing, because people are <laughs> as happy as people are when they're winning. They're that angry when they're losing and uh, yeah. the emotions go both ways. But um, from a Canadian standpoint, they're lucky that they're in a city that where people care about this team passionately whether they're winning or losing. So it's, uh, you know, 
it's it's the conversation for another day. I've had this conversation with Tony before. I mean, Montreal is a not a great sports town. It's a great Canadians town. Oh yeah. Uh, I'm right there with you and I completely agree. Um, so I want to get to uh, another piece uh, you wrote uh, yesterday after the, it was after the Nashville game. Uh, maybe it came out this morning, but it, it, it focused a lot on how they came into the second half of the season on the right foot, because that was the, the, the first game of the second half officially yesterday. And, you know, I, I have to ask, you know, is there a different, energy in the room because it felt like that you know reading the article reading the quotes from Marte St. Louis from Arbor Jack uh Kirby Doc it, it, it felt like you know I, it's too early to say that they're turning a corner here but mm -hmm. it felt like there was a more positive energy from a team that you know is coming off I don't know what it felt like eight losses in a row where they got smacked in every single one well, I think a lot of that energy came from P.K. Subban, and, and Marty St. Louis said it after the game last night. He had a grin when he said it, but he said P.K. did his job. He brought some energy, and he did. He brought energy to the building, and I honestly think the players did feed off that uh, in the game. And Arbor Jackrai, when I spoke with him this morning after practice, he spoke about that, and he said <clears throat> he had a good thing. They, they had a meeting, a team meeting, before the previous practice and about looking back at the first half and looking ahead to the second half. And Jack I said that the first half, Marty St. Louis let them play. Like he talked about that. He wanted them to not be worried about making mistakes and play their game and be free and be that. <clears throat> Jack had a great quote. You can you can read it on the on the website. Uh, but paraphrasing, he basically said that now we're playing for the crest and we're playing for the city of Montreal. Mm -hmm. And I think I think Marty just sort of he probably had an idea of what was going to happen when PK was brought out to the Marty's a really smart guy. He probably had an idea. And, and if you wanted to know what it's like to play for the city of Montreal and have fans love you, we, we saw it last night with PK Subban. Oh, yeah. right? And as PK said, lay it all out on the ice every night and the fans will love you here. And they laid it out on the ice last night. That was, might've been the best overall team effort we've seen. And Jack, I even said the fight he had, he said, I did that for the fans. He says, I just wanted to, fans to be they were into the game we were into the game i wanted to show how much we were into the game <clears throat> so it's only one game they're still missing some key players you know does this mean they're going to go on a five game winning streak or something like that you know no i mean they're still you know they're still not going to make the playoffs they're going to be at the bottom of, of the standings or the bottom of their division anyway but earlier in the season even when they were losing they were entertaining right they were really there was a, yeah. a real team effort and that team effort seemed to drop off recently Understandably, is you know the Marty St. Louis talked often about how when the power play is bad, it, it, it weighs on the offensive guys and they struggle. It's just they were sort of losing that that team thing that they had earlier in the season. So I think that they might be. It looks like they're last night. It looked like it for sure. They're getting it back maybe a bit. And I think the PK thing really did give them a little bit of a boost because if you're a kid like Slavkovsky sitting on the bench and you, he's heard about like what it's like playing in Montreal and he saw the scene at the draft and he saw everything. But to see the fans, the way they reacted last night to P.K. Subban, if you're a young player on the Canadians, you're like a Cole Caulfield, and Cole Caulfield has the potential to be the next P.K. Subban to the fans of Montreal, and the fans here already love him. Uh, you must be going, wow, you know, like, okay, I really do need a – not saying that they don't already, that Cole right. but, like, you realize how important it is to just – lay it all out on the ice every game. And, and as I mentioned earlier, as much as for the people who criticize P.K. Subban for his personality, fine, you can criticize him for his personality. But to me, what did he do when he went on the ice? He, he laid it all on the ice every time, every game he played. And 
to me, the other stuff in the room should have been for a guy maybe who wasn't performing on the ice every night and wasn't giving his all. Okay, that if he's a problem in the room or it's, but when a guy lays it out and and maybe the problems run ran deeper than you know I saw or other people saw, but I, it's like I don't see how they couldn't have worked those out too. I've wondered many times. I've said, I wonder what the difference might have been if they had hired Larry Robinson instead of JJ Daniel to be the assistant mm. coach. Because <clears throat> I think there would have been instant respect for starters for PK for Larry. If PK didn't listen to what Larry told him, PK's dad would probably give him hell. <laughs> he would love Larry yeah. Robinson. And I think Larry was a smart enough guy and he'd been around different personalities in his career. The kind of guy to maybe, you know, take a few of the guys who don't like PK out for lunch and say, what don't you like about PK? And they could tell him this, this, and that. And then take PK out for lunch and say, you know, PK, some of your teammates don't like it when you, you know, as one guy told me, just one day a week, one day a week, show up and just be quiet. I know it'll be hard for you. I know it'd be really difficult, (laughs) but that would go a long way with your teammates. Just one day, just show up, go to practice, say, hey, guys, and leave. As hard as it might be, just do that once in a while. Like little things like that. So I wonder if, you know, I've wondered often, like if Larry Robinson had, had been, assistant coach instead of J.J. Daniel. And this isn't a, a knock on J.J. Daniel, although I, I think the, there's one team in the NHL that would hire J.J. Daniel as an assistant coach over Larry Robinson, and it was Mark Bergeron when he was running the team. Yeah. But I, I really wonder if Larry Robinson had been hired as an assistant, a buffer between Terry and P.K. and Bergeron and P.K. I wonder if P.K. might have stayed a Canadian maybe still now if he hadn't retired, but or might not have been traded. I, I really wonder about that. Yeah. And, you know, just to, just to look back at the trade from a, from a, just a hockey standpoint, you know, there was the in the room stuff off the ice. Uh, I get it, but you know, on the ice, I had no, pro- I didn't have a problem with bringing in Shea Weber. I had a problem and my friends, talk, my friends and I talk about it, this, you know, whenever the trade gets mm-hmm. brought up, especially with the, with what happened last night, the problem was not getting an asset on top of Shea Weber because you had a young guy and you had a young guy in PK, you know, Norris trophy winner. And you just basically shipped him off lateral move to, it, it felt personal yeah. because it was a lateral move. It, it was personal. And you had that ridiculous Shea Weber contract. I mean, there's four more years at 7.8 you know, it was it was one of those fourteen year contracts. It was a ridiculous. As a, you know, the National Predators didn't trade Shea Weber; they traded his contract. Oh yeah, I, I've been told by somebody I respect within the NHL the day I mean they had to match the offer sheet that the Flyers gave them. It wasn't a contract yeah. the Predators wanted to give. They matched the offer sheet, but the day they matched it was the day they knew we got to trade this guy because the end of this contract is going to be horrible. And the Canadians were fortunate. To get out of the, the end of the, I mean, it's sad for Shea Weber that his injuries got caught up to him and he can't play anymore. But you know, Shea Weber, he was great in the playoff drive, but I mean, he was not so great in other. You know, you, you could see the end was coming to him. He was breaking down. Imagine four more years at that at seven point eight million or seven point six million. That contract was horrible. PK's contract ended at the end of last season. It's over. It's done. It's it's finished. But uh, you're right. I mean, and and the thing is, you know, PK loved everything about Montreal and playing for the Canadians. And Shea Weber didn't. He didn't like the spotlight. He didn't like yeah. talking to the media. You know, I can't think of a captain of any other original six or Canadian hockey team leaving and just never having a press conference, never talking to anybody, just see ya. It's, uh, like, it's like he was never here in the first place. It's, it's like he, he, 
And I understand he's a private guy and he's a quiet guy and he didn't like that. That's that's fine. That's fine. That's his right to be like that. But he he didn't have anywhere near the impact on the city of Montreal that uh, that, that PK Subban did. It's not even close. And, and that's and then just just to, just to end things off, you know, because it, it brings it back to, you know, how when Shea Weber was leading the charge, it was a very veteran heavy team. Mm-hmm. Like you, and then you have a night like last night, and I think a night like last night, while it was a PR move, like you said, and like you know, Arbor Jackai, he said in his press conference or when you spoke to him today, mm-hmm. it that can have such an impact on a, on a young player, and just it's like when the Canadians made the Stanley Cup final, uh, and I talk about it all the time. When they made the Stanley Cup final, I before that I always got so annoyed at the home opener, the passing of the torch, and mm-hmm. this because it's like okay, the past is the past. Yeah. Nobody yeah. wins five Stanley Cups in a row anymore. Mm-hmm. But then they made the Stanley Cup final. I got it. I, yeah. I understood it. I understood mm-hmm. what it meant. So now a night like last night, it could really have an impact, and it could really just show you what it means to play in this city and to to be a part of this team. Yeah, and as I said at the end of the season, I mean. Unless if Cole Caulfield scores 50 goals, that might be the highlight of the season if it's 50th goal. But if he doesn't, the highlight of the season for the Canadians could be that triple low five with PK Subban and 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 Carey Price. And as it says, as I said, from a PR standpoint, that trade was horrible because that whole young generation of fans like you who don't remember the Stanley Cup championships, who loved PK Subban, who loved the triple low five, who loved. I mean, at the end, of, pro sports is entertainment. At the end of the day, you pay three hundred bucks for a ticket yeah. to the Bell Center. You want to be entertained, whether they win or lose. PK was entertaining, and, it was, and it, it, as the saying goes, worth the price of admission. It's a cliche, but he Caulfield, was that. Cole Caulfield is entertaining now, also. I mean, the kid has yeah. so much fun playing that smile when he scores, buzzing around the ice. There's not a lot of players like that, especially in hockey, because the old school hockey executives don't want that. They want. You know, as I put it in my column today, I want the so-called good Canadian boys who show up in their nice business suits, talking cliches, and basically do what they're told. And PK, that wasn't PK. But he was polite with everybody. He was like he wasn't he wasn't a jerk, right? He was he was yeah. he, he was I mean, there's a lot of athletes with big egos and big personalities that are real jerks, you know. PK and I understand I understand how his personality would have rubbed some of his teammates around. These guys are together more than they're with their wives or kids or families or in buses. PK, they're always there. And when PK's always yeah. on, I could see it could get annoying. I, I understand. And even PK said that last night. He was asked about being a polarizing figure. And he said, I understand how some people would look at me that way. But people who really know me probably wouldn't. But I understand all that. But at the end of the day, he never did anything to embarrass this franchise. He just made it look better in my opinion you look at the stuff he did with hospitals and his involvement in the community and and uh, but he showed up on the ice and he showed up to play and to me at the end of the day uh, i there it, they thought there was more negatives than positives of pk suban being with the canadians and i'll never understand how they weighed those two things and figured that there was more negatives than positives it's it's the age old question, but uh, something you and PK have in common is that you always show up to play. Uh, so thank you very much. I appreciate you joining me on the Friday nights too. Uh, as always, uh, follow him on Twitter, read his stuff at the Montreal Gazette, and uh, have yourself a fantastic weekend. Okay, my pleasure. You too. 
All right. Well, it is uh, the Sick Podcast. We are brought to you by Playground, which has over 600 machines, poker tournaments, and Playground casino games. Daily promotions and unmatched customer service. Why go anywhere else? Located just over the Mercier Bridge, only minutes away from downtown Montreal. All right. Uh, let me be the first to officially welcome you to Super Wildcard Weekend. TGIF. Thank God it's Friday. It's also football with Matt O'Hare. Burrow hooks a pass, wide open, Chase, touchdown, Bengals. Yes, Jamar Chase in that highlight as called by Ian Eagle. All right, uh, our next guest to break down Super Cup Wild Card Weekend is a part of the Sick family. His name is Andy McNamara. Andy, how are we? Maddie, doing good, buddy. How are you? I'm uh, listen. I'm I'm doing great now. I, I've been chomping at the bit to have you back on this program for quite some time, and I'm finally happy that you you set aside some time for me. It means a lot. So, uh, I mean, I, first I got to ask you. I have to ask because uh, you had uh, you're a WWE fan, and you had a uh, a Hall of Famer on your podcast. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Man, this this was a thrill, Matt. This is a thrill. And in this, you know, in this crazy career, this broadcasting business, you get to interview some cool people sometimes. And I was able to arrange to get Jerry the King mm. Lawler, legend, Hall of Fame commentator, King of Memphis Wrestling, the Andy Kaufman stuff, author, artist, all that. And he's a Super Browns fan. Who would have thought? No way. Yeah. He grew up. So the story is, Born in Memphis, but when he was seven, his father got transferred to a job in um, a suburb an hour east of Cleveland. And he lived there from the ages of seven to 16 and became a Browns fan. And and he, he goes, man. He knows Bernie Costar and all the good guys. And in this in the episode on Twitter at AndyMC81, Instagram, AndyMC Sports, and YouTube, sick podcast with Andy McNamara, uh, he even takes us. Like, Matt, I, I, I asked him, I was like, Jerry, I know you're busy. 10, 12 minutes. Spend a half hour, and at the end, it's like, "Hey, do you want to see a tour of my uh, man cave?" I'm like, I, I, I certainly do. Uh, yes, please. And so he took us superhero memorabilia, wrestling, vast Cleveland Browns stuff. It was wild. So even if you're watching this and you're not a Brown fan, doesn't matter. And one other interesting part too, Matt. He went. He went through the exact same thing that Demar Hamlin did of the Buffalo Bills, like the same. Yeah, the, that was at the Bell Center. That was at the Bell Center. Yes, in Montreal. Absolutely. Yeah. 10 years ago. So he actually details in that interview what happens, how you come out of it, what happens, and the recovery pro. And it was it was very, very interesting, uh, the whole thing. So I encourage people to check mm -hmm. it out, um, you know, social media, all that good stuff. Yeah. All right. Uh, so on that note, let's get down to uh, brass tacks here. Uh, yeah. We're, we're Because I understand we're on a bit of a tight timeline. So let's spend, you know, we know which games we're going to spend more time talking about than others, but we're going to touch on all of them. So let's start with this one. Don't have to spend too, too much time on it, but uh, we're, we're going to go in order here. So uh, Seattle heading over to San Francisco, you know, San Francisco, nine and a half point favorites line. Interesting. Didn't move all week, mm -hmm. uh, but you know, Listen, there's that stuff about Pete Carroll praising the 49ers. You know, he's playing a mental game there. He knows what he's doing, psychological warfare, all that good stuff. But I don't really think the Seattle Seahawks have a shot at this game. No, I think it's a fun story. I think Pete Carroll did a fantastic job in a year, really, that was supposed to be a tank job. Like, mm -hmm. you're telling me you come in Seattle and your quarterbacks are Geno Smith and Drew Locke? 
Come on. <laughs> you're, you're mailing it in. Doesn't happen now they're in the playoffs, but you're right. San Francisco's winning this game probably by that nine, nine to 10 point range. They lost to San Fran in week two. And here's another interesting little tidbit. The 49ers led the NFL again for the sixth straight year in yards after catch. We know they love the dink and dunk and go. You had Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel second and third this year. And guess what team has given up the second most yards after the catch? The Seattle Seahawks. Ball game. I don't care if it's wet, rainy, whatever it is in San Francisco. Niners are advancing. Yeah, not only that, but uh, George Kittle looks to be uh, making some good uh, chemistry over there with Brock Purdy. So, uh, again, yeah, just uh, I agree with you. I agree with you. Just San Francisco all the way there. Uh, This game, very interesting, especially with the news coming out of L.A. this morning that uh, Mike Williams is out. He is out with a back fracture. So L.A. heads over to Jacksonville. L.A. is the favorite by two and a half. Uh, Listen, to me, it should be a coin flip game. It should be. Yeah. It's not by the market. So, uh, yeah, I just think uh, I, I love getting behind him because I was be- I've was i been behind him all season. The prince who was promised, Trevor Lawrence. I mean, I, I, like I, lean, I lean Jacksonville because I, I just love Trevor Lawrence. Well, I think this could be the start of a developing, really fun young quarterback rivalry, Herbert and Lawrence. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Like, that's th- there's a lot of meat on the bone there. Here's the thing. The Chargers always find a way to screw stuff up. It, it's Brandon Staley, can... the ultimate equalizer, Brandon Staley. The, uh, him and McCarthy in Dallas, the ultimate mm-hmm. equalizer. You can't put your finger quite on it, but you know they're going to do something stupid to cost their team. Whereas you have the Jacksonville Jaguars who have won five in a row. Doug Peterson, like, I don't think it's talked enough how impressive it is. That guy deprogrammed that Jacksonville franchise that got just wrecked by Urban Meyer. You rebuilt Trevor Lawrence on the fly. And now you've won five in a row with, by the way, if you look at their offense, pretty pedestrian weapon-wise compared mm-hmm. to the Chargers. They have an underrated pass rush. I think they take it, man. I think the Chargers do it. I, sorry, I think the, the Jags take it. And um, it's just one more year. I do hope for Justin Herbert's sake, he's so talented, that they do get that oh, sorted yeah. out. Yeah. But I, I'm going Jags. Yep. Uh, I, you know what? You're, I'm on the fence on that one. So uh, you put the confidence in me. I'm going to be on the Jags also then because, again, just – He's the prince who was promised. He's won at every single level. And hey, Trevor Lawrence has never lost a game that he's played on a Saturday I, in the playoffs. I there you go. That. That's I a trend. That. Yeah, I'll buy into that something. trend. So uh, moving on to Sunday, we have the Miami Dolphins heading over to the Buffalo Bills. Again, just a massive, massive point spread. The biggest, I'm pretty sure it's the biggest one in wildcard weekend history. Mm. Um, 13 and a half Buffalo are favorites. Again, just... I really don't see how Miami has really any shot at winning this game. I could see how they could cover, but really, you know, I got a text from my, from my Bills friend, uh, Bills fan friend, and he said, uh, shout out to Mason, who's going to be listening to this a little bit later. He said to me, 42 to 10, book it. And, and I kind of agree. I, I kind of agree with him. I just, outside of God himself coming down with a lightning bolt and striking Josh Allen. I don't see how they lose this ball game. It's like Skylar Thompson. People on social media, stop it. Stop. No, it's not happening. It's done. It's over. You're not winning this game. This is going to be, and it's in Buffalo. My goodness. My cousin's, my cousin's husband, he's going down. He's a Dolphins fan. He's like, Andy, I'm going down to wish him good luck. I said, Dave, I was like, bro, save yourself. The Buffalo fans, they're nasty. They'll get at you. 
Okay. Oh they're yeah. Gonna get, yeah. They're going to get at you. It's going to be cold, and you're going to see your team get destroyed, and then you got a long drive back. No. It, it, this one, yeah. I, I don't even. You know, I, I don't even know how much of this game I'm going to watch. To be honest, I think it's just going to be a bloodbath. Yeah, exactly. I'm right there with you because we saw what the Buffalo Bills do. They take care of business when there's a big mismatch. They did it last year in uh, against New England. They mopped the floor with them. And, and, you, know, and I, you have the emotional factor of Demar Hamlin as well. Yes. Yes. The extra That's factor. A, it's a huge. It's a huge fact. I just imagine. I, I don't know if it'll happen because they. I mean, they definitely haven't said anything. And if they, if it will happen, I would imagine they're going to try to keep it. Uh, you know, on the low, but. Imagine if he ran out with the team holding a flag. Just how absolute bonkers that place would go. You know what I would do if I was the Buffalo Bills? Listen, you're beating the Dolphins on Sunday. Mm -hmm. You don't need that yet. Save it. Yeah. Save it for the next round. Save it for, I know it would be a neutral site if they play Kansas City, but save it, you know, or yeah. wherever. Save it for a game you need it. You don't need to use the Hamlin car right now. You just don't yep. just save it, yep. get that hype, use it when you need it another time. Next game, uh, a team that you know just constantly pisses me off. Uh, not the first team I'm going to mention, it's the New York Giants against the fraudulent, I repeat, fraudulent yeah. Minnesota Vikings. I hate them, I think <laughs> they are a terrible football team. I it's just I can't get behind them. The, just very down to just basics of kicking. They have they're one of the worst special teams uh teams in the league. When you can't get that right, I can't get behind you. Just I, I really want the Giants to do this, but I just know Minnesota is gonna win this game by one point off of a 65-yard field goal from Greg Joseph, who can't even hit one from 35. You're telling me you know who he used to kick for? The Browns. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Greg Joseph. Where where was that 61? yard field goal on Christmas Eve when I needed you, pal. I'll tell you a quick story. I was at Browns training camp 2019. Great time with the Browns backers. And, and you'd stay in the line and the players would come by very nicely and they'd sign some stuff. I saw Greg Joseph came by. I pulled back my football, Matt. I was like, no. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was That's like, bad. ah. I was like, ah. And you know what? He said he was, it was something along the lines of like, oh, you know, I'm just, uh, it makes me as happy to to uh, sign uh, autographs for you guys as it does to make a field goal. And I said, not me, man. Make the field goal. <laughs> I was I kind of a jerk. And he didn't do well. So, anyway. but No, but I agree with you. You know, <laughs> like, listen, uh, last year, just quick, before we move on to the, the, the Ravens and Bengals, I, against the Titans, uh, when the Bengals played the Titans, I think, uh, you know, Evan McPherson hit maybe mm -hmm. four or five field goals that game. I tweeted in that game because I was so convinced that they couldn't finish off drives, that they were going to lose that game, the Bengals were, that I tweeted, if the Bengals win this game, I will buy an Evan McPherson jersey. Ooh. That Evan McPherson jersey is hanging in my closet over there right now. There you go. Um, so kickers, kickers are just – you don't need one until you need one, and yeah. the, the Vikings are going to need Greg Joseph in this game. And I just know with the, height, with the horseshoe up their rear end, they're going to pull it off somehow. But I, I I think the Giants cover the three. The, the thing is, yeah, this is what it's going to come down to where people will bet the Vikings, but they'll still somehow screw you by not covering mm -hmm. a three point spread, right? Like, and listen, yeah. they, 11 of their 13 victories came by a single score. I'm with you. They're the fakest 13 and 14 I've ever seen. It's just, just underwhelming. Underwhelming. They don't look, I think they do end up winning it. I think the Giants have, um, 
you know, accomplished. My gosh, we talked about great coaching. Brian Dable, you took the Giants. Look at that roster. Look at that. Other. You took them not only to above 500, but make the playoffs. Sensational. Yeah. I, yeah. I, absolutely. Well, I think the Giants have accomplished, like you got to the play, mission, mission complete for this year. You got it. I, I don't see them going any further. I just think it's, unless they can really ground control and clock control with Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones, um, they don't have a Justin Jefferson that Kirk Cousins can throw up to yep. 15 times a game. That guy's unreal. But I will, I think I, I I will say, I will say though that uh, the last time these two teams met, it did take a 61 yard field goal for them to beat the New York Giants. And the, the, the Vikings pass defense made Isaiah Hodgins look like Justin Jefferson. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, anything is possible. I, I'm right. rooting for the Giants. I'm rooting for the Giants. I never thought I would say that in my life, but I am. Um, anyways, let's move on to uh, the biggest game for me, at least, of the weekend. Sunday night football, Baltimore Ravens heading over to Cincinnati, Paycor Stadium. Cincinnati, eight and a half point favorites. This line jumped up, down, sideways, in mm. loops all week because of the Lamar Jackson uh, situation. He's out. It's It looks like it's going to be Tyler Huntley. Uh, okay, so the media does this thing where they – I mentioned it off the top. They do this thing where they make games sound like they're going to be closer than yeah. they are. Yeah. This is one of those games where I don't think that's the case. I, I really think that Baltimore's defense is – if not the best in the league, they're top two. They are really good and yeah. a really scary defense. Um, I, I'm obviously I, I don't see a way that they win because just I don't think they could win scoring. I think okay, so we I have this, Justin Tucker. Well, That's so it. here they have Justin Tucker, but how about this? I'm I'm, I'm going to steal this from First Things First uh, off FS1 Ravens since week thirteen. When Lamar Jackson went down, including that game, because he went down in the first quarter, points right. per game, 12 and a half. That's 31st in the league. Love yards it. per game, 307, 22nd in the league. Passing yards per game, 152. That's 30th in the league. Passing TDs since week 13. Five Love games it. were played. Mm, testify. Two. Two. That's last in the NFL. Ooh. So listen, I think, I think it's going to be a bloodbath in terms of just a scrappy physical hard-hitting game two teams that just absolutely hate each other yeah but the Bengals are going to come out on top Bengals have to come out on top now look yeah. as a Browns fan if there's a way both teams could lose I'd like that but yeah. but I did I dislike the Bengals I hate the Ravens I respect the Bengals because of the Paul Brown lineage with the Browns I respect yep. the Bengals I hate the Ravens and I hate the Steelers and I really want Cincinnati I'm going to be watching that game uh, listen, I'll wear I'll wear the orange, my orange shirt. It's a brown shirt, but I'll, that's as close as I'm going to get. I'll take want, it. I'll take I it. I want them to just punish. Look, you can't score points outside of Justin Tucker. Tyler Huntley stinks. Lamar Jackson, I don't care what anyone says, he's an overrated passer of the football. If your defense still, for any quarterback on that team, on that Ravens team, if a def opposing defense's strategy is to make your quarterback throw the ball, not a long-term franchise quarterback. I've been saying it for three years. I say he's injury-prone. He's proven me right again, Lamar Jackson. Should, should have probably taken that extension, Lamar. Oh, now, yeah. now look at 250 oh, mil in oh, your pocket. Although, although let's let's be honest, Matt. Uh, the, the consolation prize is he's uh, going to get 20 million guaranteed as franchise. We should all be so lucky, right? Uh, yes, but yeah. 
I, I'm with you on the defense. Absolutely. They're going to try to, look, we know what the Ravens are going to try to do. They're going to try to control the clock. They're going to try to run it as much as possible. Really good running game. The offensive line's gotten better. The defense is nasty. Cincinnati's defense, I think, remains underrated. I love DJ Reader. Yep. I think the cornerbacks are underrated as well. And I, I think that whole group can shut them down. If I'm making a wager on this game, I don't like that point spread because I'm with you. I think, like, I think Cincinnati will be in control the whole game, but I don't necessarily yeah. know what the defense. They're not going to run away with it. I don't that's think what, they're going to run away with it. That's where I'm at. So I'm thinking if I'm putting some money down, I'm going to take the under 40 and a half points because I think Cincinnati yeah. could win like you know 28 to nine or something, and yeah. then you're still hitting the under. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I, I'm right, right there with you. All right. Go uh, Bengals. Come on that, now. Go Bengals. Who day? Who day? Let's go. Um, okay, last game of the weekend. It's on a Monday. Uh, Monday Night Football. Dallas Cowboys. Your boys. Heading over to Tampa Bay to face the GOAT and Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. All right. This is how I see this game. Last week was the worst possible way to end the season for the Dallas Cowboys. They treated that game as a real game. And what happened? Dak completed 14 or 14 passes out of 37, I think. You know, through two more or one more interception. Leads the league in interceptions. The guy missed four games. That's wild. It's unbelievable. It's and, you know, you wanted the, the Cowboys, they really didn't have an F game all season. That was an F game. Mm-hmm. That was a complete failure on every aspect of the game, and they treated it as an important one. That Tampa Bay defense is nasty. They are getting healthier and healthier, and I just think if you give Tom Brady a chance, he's going to do it, and he will beat you. So I really think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to do it. I I kind of hope that he does for – multiple just for mainly storyline reasons like we, we don't have a dog in the fight but just from interest wise because if dallas loses jerry jones is going to go ballistic he, he pretty yeah. much said yeah you, he's like get to the super bowl or things aren't going to be nice i think mccarthy gets the boot i think he's going to try to get sean payton in um on yeah. paper no matter what that last game said on paper the dallas cowboys with the season that the tampa bay buccaneers had should win outright should be shouldn't be a problem but it is a problem and what I want to see, it's that perception versus reality, Matt, right? Perception versus reality. And does the perception that Tom Brady can win in the playoffs no matter what, is the perception that Tom Brady, the GOAT, is still there, does that perception become the reality for the Dallas Cowboys in the players' mm-hmm. minds? That's something we don't know. That's something we're going to find out. And I kind of want to see the old man do it one more time. Just make it interesting. Well, you know, there, there's one thing that I'll say that the Cowboys have going for them, and it's that the, the stats prove it. When Tom Brady has time, oh. top five quarterback statistically this year, it's crazy. Yeah. The guy's 40 yeah. million years old, whatever he is. 45, but yeah. There you go, 45 years old. But when he gets pressured, he is just, it's an ugly thing to watch. I saw it firsthand, second half of that Bengals game yeah. uh, in Tampa Bay. It, it's an ugly thing to watch. You don't like to see that from uh, if you're a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan. So that Dallas uh, pass rush, if it can make some noise, they'll win the game. But if uh, but that's a healthy that's a healthy offensive line for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And it's uh, when it is healthy, it's one of the best in the league. Uh, all right. I have to ask you one thing before you go. 
All right. Okay, two two part question, but it's one thing. Um, your Super Bowl matchup and your Super Bowl winner. Boy, I think and if you're if, feeling yeah. amb- if you're feeling ambitious, you go for a score too. Oh boy. Okay. Okay. Well, I, I think clearly AFC. Let's start AFC. I think clearly AFC top three teams are uh, the Chiefs, Bills, and Bengals. I don't think that's yep. a, a question. Um, I'm kind of feeling. You know what? I'm feeling that it's it's going to be the Buffalo Bills this year. It just seems like the stars are aligning to, you know, all the feel good stuff, all that. I think the mojo is rolling for them. That's not, you know, you can't punch that into a computer. That's just sort of what my guts tell me. So I think Buffalo goes there. The NFC is really interesting. I I really like the Philadelphia Eagles. I like the story. I like the rise of Jalen Hurts. I liked him in college. And I think he was an underrated where Lamar's over. I think Jalen Hurts was an underrated passer of the football and he's grown. I think the Eagles get there, and I think it's Bills, Eagles, Super Bowl, and Buffalo finally, finally gets their Super Bowl win. And for a score, eh, let's say, uh, let's say, let me think. The number thirty-eight jumped into my head. Thirty-eight. Uh, yeah, let's make it fun. Let's do thirty-eight, thirty-five. Bills. Yeah, I'm right there. I went right when you said that matchup. It's fireworks. It's it's let's sling the ball. Let's Let's throw bombs out there and let's just let's just leave it all out on the field on the offensive side. Andy, uh, I kept you eight minutes over. I apologize for that. (laughs) But I I really appreciate you joining me on this uh, on this Friday night. So uh, enjoy Super Wildcard Weekend and have a great rest of your of your evening. You too, man. Uh, Good luck to the bank. Get those rappers. Come on. Let's go. Who day? I know. Yeah. Who day? There you All go. Right, you heard it. You heard a Cleveland Browns fan saying, get the Ravens. One, See you, <laughs> I have a good one. All right. It's time to make some money with sick picks. It's time for sick picks brought to you by Betway. Sick Picks is brought to you by Betway. Uh, you must be 19 years or older to play. Please play responsibly. Okay. I have had a lot of trouble coming up with my picks. I had six at one point. I had seven, and then I brought it back down to five, but then I wasn't sure about the first one. I came up with the list. So my first pick, we talked about it, Andy and I, right off the hop. It's going to be terrible weather in that game. It's going to be Seattle at San Francisco. It's going to be, you know, just the rain is going to be coming down. We're going to go with two picks from that game. We're going to parlay together Christian McCaffrey, anytime touchdown and George Kittle, anytime touchdown, George Kittle quietly has some value on that board. I think he's at, I think I saw him at plus one eighty-seven to score an anytime touchdown. The guy, it seems like has had two touchdowns every game for the past three weeks. So there's no reason why against that Seattle defense that that can't keep going. And uh, you heard it, you know, just Seattle, they just have a terrible run defense and Christian McCaffrey is pretty much automatically good for one. All right. So those are my first two picks. My third pick will be Jamar Chase over six and a half catches. This line seems generously low. It's very fishy to me, but player prop lines, sometimes they... You know, they'll throw you a gift. And uh, this is one that seems like a gift. The reason why I say that is since Jamar Chase has come back from injury, I think he's averaged, you know, about eight and a half catches a game. So that's already two and a half under um, under what the or two under what the line is. So it's just interesting to me. Now, I know that last week he had eight catches for I think it was 81 yards and a touchdown. 
his yards, by the way, are set at 76 and a half. So I, I just for full disclosure, I am taking all of Jamar Chase's overs and I'm taking him to score a touchdown. That's besides the point. But I think the most automatic of those are the six and a half cat over six and a half catches because if the Bengals want to win this game, it's going to be tightly contested. The Ravens have a very good run defense and we've seen the Bengals or I've seen them at least watching them week in, week out is that when they face a team with a good run defense, such as the New England Patriots, they're going to do what they Joe Burrow is going to do what he does best, especially against a team that plays zone defense like the like the Ravens do, which is I'm just going to put the ball into space. I'm just going to put it in my playmaker's hands and I'm going to let him make a play. You're going to see twice during the game. I promise you it's going to be third and eight, third and nine, third and ten. They're just going to hike the ball, snap it toss it over laterally to Jamar Chase and he'll make a man miss and run 10 yards up the field. They're going to do that once, twice, maybe even three times a game. So there's already two, three catches. Then they're going to hit him on a couple slants because he is their best playmaker. And he showed up last year in the playoffs every single game. That's why Jamar Chase over six and a half catches seems automatic. Okay, we t- Andy and I talked about the Bills and Dolphins game. It's probably going to be unless you're a Buffalo Bills fan, the least entertaining game of all. And um, the reason for that being is because the Bills are going to mop the floor with the Dolphins. I I can't confidently say take out a hammer and smack the 13 and a half. But what I will say are two things about this game because I want to find a way to get behind the Bills. There are two ways. One, is Stefan Diggs anytime touchdown? Depending on your sports book, we use Betway here at the Sick Podcast. I saw it uh, earlier today at plus 100. It might be down to uh, minus 105. Not much of a difference there. So I would take Stefan Diggs on an anytime touchdown just based off of value alone for their, their best playmaker to be at plus 100. That's crazy. I already locked it in. So I took that Stefan Diggs anytime touchdown. The other one I'm going to take from that game, which will be my fifth pick, is going to be the Buffalo Bills over 16 and a half first half total. They will go over because I think this game could get ugly quick. The only way that this doesn't get ugly quick is if that Dolphins defense is able to force a couple turnovers. Josh Allen, you know, has a brain fart as he usually does in the red zone and he'll throw a red zone turnover. I just don't see it happening in the playoffs because the playoffs are a different animal than the uh, than the regular season when you already have the division locked up and you can you know, you can kind of dog it for the lack of a better term. The Bills had something to play for near the end of the season, but I don't know. I just think they're good, that the, the Bills will be firing on all cylinders. They're going to be locked in. They're going to relish that energy from the crowd. Take that over 16 and a half first half total. Okay. So I don't usually do this because I don't like to do it. I don't like to give picks that I'm not going to bet myself. However, if I wasn't a Bengals fan, I would be betting this. And it is the Ravens plus eight and a half. Andy and I spoke about it. I don't think the Bengals are going to run away with this game. And how about this for a stat? Granted, he had a, I mean, I guess he had a quarterback uh, when this hap- when these things happened. But John Harbaugh, the head coach of the Baltimore Ravens, is straight up 5-0 and against the spread in the playoffs when he is a seven-point or more underdog. So that's when, you know, the Ravens were facing old school Brady, Peyton Manning, and all those fun teams and all those great teams. Straight up 5-0. and oh. Again, there is a chance that the Bengals could run away with this because it is Tyler Huntley 
on the field. And just if you're going to take last week's game as a reference, don't. And I'll tell you that firsthand as a Bengals fan, as a reference to how this game will be played, because Joe Burrow was off. He missed a couple of wide open touchdowns. Uh, The receivers were off because Jamar Chase dropped a touchdown, as did uh, T. Higgins. Also, just they didn't show anything creatively offensively against the Ravens uh, last week. So, you know, Jamar Chase had a 21 yard touchdown. It was a straight, straight yard streak. Straight line, just, you know, beat your man, run faster than he can, and I'll throw the ball to you. That's what happened. It wasn't anything, you know, razzle-dazzle that the Bengals are capable of, anything explosive. So um, there is that chance that the Bengals blow them out, but the, that trend of John Harbaugh, 5-0 and against the spread, I would ride with that if I was a neutral fan. I'm going to give you two more plays, two value plays, but before I do that, I have to tell you that the sick podcast with Tony Marinaro's, uh, his Tascam equipment is supplied by Ericsson Audio, the choice of musicians, engineers, and broadcast professionals. All right, there's the two value plays I'm going to give you. Listen, if you're feeling ambitious and you want to sprinkle this on, a, these are heavy odds to be sprinkling onto a parlay. So, you know, use these as single bets, um, or at least the first one. The first one is, I spoke about it with Andy, I mentioned his name, Isaiah Hodgins, anytime touchdown scorer for the New York Giants. This guy, you know, the last time they played, uh, they played the Vikings. I think he had 11 catches, had a touchdown, and, you know, he just ran all over the place, and everyone was like, who the hell is this guy, Isaiah Hodgins? They got they got uh, Darius Slayton. They got uh, Bellinger, that fantastic uh, young tight end. They got Saquon Barkley. No, it was the Isaiah Hodgins show. That is great odds. He's at plus 275 fantastic odds i would take a gamble on it throw a unit down throw maybe two if you want uh that would be great uh if that happens and you know hey i mean it's the playoffs anything could happen and i just think that's a great great value play for is for who is a de facto number one receiver now i know he caught his first touchdown of the season last week uh, in kenny galladay he's at plus 650 i wouldn't touch that with a 50 foot pole okay the second value play i will give out is Tampa Bay money line. I really think Tampa Bay is going to win this game. People are going to be pissed off that Tom Brady keeps doing it. And, you know, everyone's sick of Brady. Well, hey, he's the GOAT. Appreciate appreciate him while he's here. This Dallas team is giving is just bad vibes, for the lack of a better term. Just bad vibes all around this team. You know, you got Mike McCarthy who's on the hot seat. He always makes questionable decisions. So imagine making questionable decisions while you're on the hot seat. That's no good. Um and just they again it just goes back to last week i read into it because they played the game as if it mattered they didn't sit anyone and it ju- they just looked awful dak prescott leads the nfl in interceptions he's missed four games unacceptable unacceptable i think that you know tampa bay it's going to be a close one tampa bay is just going to do it because what's going to happen you know d- Dallas is going to have a four-point lead with two minutes to go in the game. Tom Brady's going to get the ball back, and he's going to do what Tom Brady does. It's automatic. Every single time, it's automatic. Tampa Bay will win this game. There's your value play. That's it for me on the Sick Podcast. I'm Matt O'Han. Thank you for joining me on this Friday night. And uh, Tony will be back Monday. Go Bengals. 
And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the Sick Podcast with Tony Marinero on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. The Sick Podcast is brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. 8.6. Intense by nature. And La Cage. If the last time you went to La Cage was when the Habs won the cup, it's time you went back to La Cage. The menu will surprise you.